0: Will you turn uh, with me to Luke 24? Luke chapter 24. This morning we celebrate uh, what what truly is the the apex of the Christian faith. The resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And and when you think about it... (laughs) That's something that we celebrate every single Sunday. Uh, we gather together for corporate worship on Sunday on the first day of each week, just as those first disciples of Jesus did, as we learned in the book of Acts, uh, so as to commemorate the day of the week that Jesus uh, conquered death for us. And I hope that every single one of us who's trusted in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, I hope that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ every single day. Um, not not in putting on pretty pastel outfits or um, joining together with a family and friends for a meal or sending the kids out hunting Easter eggs. I hope that we as Jesus followers celebrate the resurrection of Christ every single day by living in resurrection power, the power that Jesus obtained for us and he offers to whosoever will. It's available to you. It's available to me. I'm afraid though that If you and I, if we did even a basic evaluation of our lives... the sad reality is that we don 't always celebrate the resurrection of our Savior daily because we don 't always live in resurrection power at least not consistently now, why is that? I mean, what keeps us as born again followers of Jesus Christ from from doing what he 's asked us to do and what he enables us to do? What prevents the Christian uh, from with the kind of joy we just had here this morning um, what keeps us from consistently walking in newness of life. That's how God has the Apostle Paul describe it in Romans 6. What restricts resurrection power in our lives and how can we have victory over those restrictions? And this morning here in Luke chapter 24, we find three different restrictions that can keep you and me as followers of Jesus from living in resurrection power. And uh, my prayer is that God and his Holy Spirit would identify if, if any of these are a part of our lives in any way. And then the Holy Spirit would, this morning, empower us to make any change that's necessary so that we can celebrate the resurrection every single day by living in resurrection power and walking in newness in life. Let's pray before we go to God's Word. We, we come to your Word now, Lord. Um, thank you for this section. It's, it's a beautiful section um, that records your resurrection in great detail. And Lord, I pray that um, your Holy Spirit, that he would identify if there's ever any kind of faithless habits that are a part of our lives. If, If as followers of Jesus, we're ever guilty of having a faithless heart or a faithless head. And Lord, that he'd give us the power to confess that this morning and to repent of it and to truly walk in resurrection power, to walk in newness of life, to have the resurrection of Jesus Christ be not just something that we celebrate once a year or even once every week when we join together, but something that is reality in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, the the first restriction... To live in in resurrection power that Luke communicates to us here in chapter 24 is faithless habits. I want to read verses 1 through 12. It says, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in, and they found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments, And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And the third day, rise again. And they remembered his words. And he returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Well, then arose Peter, and he ran into the sepulcher, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves, and he departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass." These 12 verses are are incredible Uh, in an effort to alliterate the outline. I chose the word habits here, uh, faithless habits. But faithless service might be a more appropriate description to living in resurrection power that we see in these first 12 verses. Let me say, first of all, that what is described here it is my favorite part uh, of any of the gospel accounts of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, whether it's in Matthew, Mark, uh, Luke, or John. I can't help but rejoice that God, in his wisdom and sovereignty, he intentionally purposed that these ladies here, they would be the first ones uh, to hear of and to see the resurrected Savior. And I also applaud these ladies for what they were intending to go and do in this section of scripture because what we're going to learn is is that while the fellas, uh, the male disciples of Jesus Christ, they were huddling together, um, we might even say hiding (laughs) on this first Easter morning, um, these brave ladies, they went to the tomb to serve God by taking care of the body of their friend, the body of the Lord Jesus. We know his death happened rapidly. His burial was done in haste because of the approaching Sabbath day. The the normal preparations that they would do for a body for burial, they hadn't been completely done. And now the Sabbath and and its work restrictions were over. And and these ladies were going to take care of that. And this was just a standard act of service, uh, a standard habit in Jewish religious culture One leading rabbi from the second century, 200 years after this, he said that the greatest, the greatest act of kindness and love, uh, one that mirrors most closely uh, the unconditional love that God has for us, is to serve the Lord by burying someone. I think that's true. Because much like God's love toward us, um, this is a habit here, this is an act of service that's entirely unconditional. Unconditional. I mean, that person that you're burying, or like these ladies are preparing the body for burial, are they ever going to reciprocate what you're doing for them? No. And that's what these ladies are doing on this Easter morning here. They are performing a Jewish religious habit, an act of service to the Lord. They're serving someone in need. But it it is a faithless habit, isn't it? How so? Well, these ladies were disciples of Jesus too. And as disciples of Christ, those who had heard his teachings the past three or so years, what should have they expected this morning? What should have they uh, expected to happen? Well, they should have expected what they found. An empty tomb. A risen Savior. Now, we know that they didn't believe or expect this to happen, first of all, by their whole purpose in going to the tomb that morning. It was to prepare Christ's dead body. But secondly, by what verse four said, it says, even when they found the empty tomb, even when presented with it, they failed to believe just yet. They were much perplexed about, verse four says. And we learn in verses four through seven that God graciously He sent them two messengers that morning, two angels. That they asked them this convicting faith realigning question in verse five. Why seek ye the living among the dead? These angels are telling, if you're looking for Jesus, you're looking in the wrong place. He's not here. He's risen. Don't you remember how he spoke unto you when he was yet in Galilee? So how can faithless habits or faithless service to the Lord, how can that be a restriction to living in resurrection power in your life and my life even today? Christian, it is so easy for you and I to just go through the motions as we try to live for Jesus in this world. We can get up on Sunday morning. We can uh, get dressed for church. We could walk into this building here and meet together. We we can even sing on the praise team or in the choir. You could teach a Sunday school class. You can serve on a committee. You can work with the kids or, or with the teens here. And you can do all of that. You can. You can do all of that without faith. You can do all of that in your own strength, just going through the motions. As followers of Jesus, um, even apart from church, we can, in this world, we can live and speak and, and try to witness to the work of Christ in our lives faithlessly. We can even spend time daily in God's Word or, or pray to the Lord daily and have it be nothing more than a faithless habit or a faithless act of service. And here is what is so terrible <laughs> About that happening in our lives. There's no resurrection power there. Now, all that activity, it's no different than anyone else in any other religion doing what they do. You know, throughout God's Word, we are taught that this is not God's design or His desire for us. What was God's message through Samuel to Saul back in 1 Samuel 15 22? To obey is better than to sacrifice. God says there, listen to me, love me, trust me, live in dependence on me and on my power. That's what worship is all about. Anything else? It's just a faithless habit. In Matthew 19, Peter boldly proclaims to Jesus, Jesus, we have left everything to serve you, to follow you. Peter tells Jesus to check out his and the other disciples' habits, their acts of service to the Lord. And what does Jesus reply? He says to them all, truly I say unto you, you who have in faith, you who have independence, you who believe in everything I say and everything I promise to you, you who have in faith left all to follow me, you're going to receive a hundred times more and eternal life. And so we may, may we never forget uh, this principle that God gives us in Hebrews eleven six that without faith, it's impossible It's impossible to please God. Whoever comes to God for salvation has to believe that he is, but also that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. What a great description of faith. And so may our habits as Jesus followers, may our acts of service to the Lord, may they never be faithless acts but, but fueled by our faith in everything that God has said. Listen, that right there is the key, Christian. I want you to look at verse 8. What was the angel's message to these ladies that Easter morning? Jesus told you he would rise from the grave. And what does verse 8 tell us? Move these ladies from faithless habits to faithful service. They remembered his words. And we're going to learn this morning that the way to coming, overcoming any of these restrictions to living in resurrection power, it, it's that right there. Remembering God's words. Knowing, remembering, focusing on, leaning on, trusting God's word. In verses 9 through 12, do you see the change of perspective that has taken place in these ladies' lives? That results in a change of practice? They immediately go and they tell the other disciples of Jesus. And they joyfully announce what has happened. Jesus is alive. These ladies are now serving the Lord faithfully. In resurrection power. The second restriction to living in resurrection power. We're given here in Luke 24. Is in verses 13 to 35. And it's faithless hearts. Let's read that section. And behold. Verse 13. And behold two of them. Two of the disciples that went that same day. To a village called Emmaus. Which was from Jerusalem. About three score furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned. Jesus himself drew near. And he went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, he answered and said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto him, What things? And they said unto Jesus concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And besides all this, Today's the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so, as the women had said. But him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools, (laughs) and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken." Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into His glory? And beginning at Moses, and all the prophets, He expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning Himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and He was, and, and He made as though He would have gone further, but they constrained Him, saying, "Abide with us, for it is toward evening and the day is far spent." And He went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as He sat at meat with them, He took bread and blessed it and brake and gave to them, and their eyes were opened. And they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour, and they returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven gathered together, and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed. And he hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. I believe it was last Easter that we studied this particular section of Scripture. Um, We also celebrated the Lord's Supper because there's kind of a connection there with this passage. Luke is the only one who gives us details like this uh, about these two disciples on the way to uh, Emmaus. And and it's an interesting account, isn't it? I mean, it's hard for me, I hope for you, it's hard for us to believe that two of Jesus' disciples... They could walk with him and talk with him for miles and not recognize the one they had lived for and the one that they loved. Verse 16 describes this strange event. It says that their eyes were holden that they should not know him. Now some theologians and Bible scholars believe that that God supernaturally hid who Jesus was from them. That's not my opinion. Um, The Presbyterian... Minister from the early 1900s, Albert Barnes, he says in his commentary on this verse this expression is used merely to denote that they didn't know who Jesus was. There's nothing supernatural or miraculous in it. God did not blind them to who Jesus was. Their eyes were holden simply because they did not expect to see him. Where did these two disciples believe Jesus currently was? In the grave, in the tomb. Now, the way I see it, these two are even more culpable for their faithlessness because verses 22 and 23 record them telling Jesus that they had been informed by the ladies already that the tomb was empty. Jesus was alive. They had the testimony of those ladies from the first part of this chapter. So, so why are these two, why are they so blind to the, I mean, the literal presence of Jesus walking and talking with them? Faithlessness. They had faithless hearts. That's what Jesus says about them and to them in verse 25. He says, oh fools, you're slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Those are strong words. They're strong words that are Christ's response to their faithless hearts. We see their faithless hearts displayed in verses 20 and 21. There, are these two men. They tell Jesus, who they don't recognize, they tell Jesus about his own death. <laughs> but pay attention to the faithless heart in verse 21. We trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. You understand what's going on here? Why they're blind to who Jesus is? What did these two followers of Jesus want him to be for them? A redeemer of Israel. That's what they wanted in their heart. Not to be saved from the penalty and power of sin not to be given the ability to walk in newness of life here and now and have eternal life with God forever and heaven one day. They wanted a savior, but just one that would address their temporal and material needs, one who would overthrow the occupying Roman government. That's where their heart was. And there would be no living in resurrection power with such a faithless heart. They couldn't even recognize Jesus. Listen, there are faithful hearts present and professing believers even today. There are people who come to Jesus, but only for what he supposedly can do for them here and now in this life in regard to temporal and material things, in regard to worldly things. Pastor Paul Washer once said this, if you want to follow Jesus because he will give you a better life, if you want to follow Jesus because you hope he will bless you financially, if you want to follow Jesus because he will fix your marriage, that, that's idolatry. Any of those sayings, that's idolatry. Follow Christ for the sake of Christ. He's worthy. Amen? And too many Christians are just as blind as these two. Their, their eyes hold in. To who Jesus is and to the resurrection power that He offers us to, to live in, just like these two disciples on the Emmaus road with Jesus literally walking and talking with them, there are some professing Christians today that blind because they have the same problem. They have faithless hearts. A.W. Tozer said secularism and materialism and the intrusive presence of things, they have put out the light in our souls as Christians and they turned us into a generation of zombies. What's crazy is he said that, I'd estimate he said that about five to six decades ago. I wonder what he would say about the Christless lies of prosperity theology that are so prevalent in the professing Christian church today. You know what I'm talking about, the whole name it and claim it um, type of of perspective, uh, the Joel Osteen, your best life now nonsense. I remember probably 15 years ago, um, I was driving to deposit my paycheck on a Friday, and I drove into the bank parking lot, and I was sitting in line at the drive through and there was this beautiful black shiny Mercedes in front of me. It had a license plate, a uh, little holder around it, and it said, a blessed and highly favored. This is the Lord's doing, and as I sat there in my 15-year-old Toyota Tacoma that was held together with zip ties and duct tape. I said, well, this is too, but I'm not going to blame God for it. <laughs> <laughs> it. It's a crazy perspective. And that's what these two had. And that's what so many Christians today have in their faithless hearts. And how does Jesus correct this faithless hearts? And how does he turn them to treasure Christ for the sake of who Jesus is and what he's done for us? Well, he does it the same way that the angels did earlier to the ladies. Jesus, the living word of God, he takes... He directs them to scripture, to the written word of God. In verses 27 to 31, if you look there, Jesus patiently teaches them how that from Genesis all the way to Revelation, God's word is all about Jesus Christ. It's all about who God is for us in Jesus. And Christian, if you and I, if we're going to fight the danger of having a faithless heart, if we're going to live in the resurrection power of a faithful heart, it's the word of God. The word of God, that is the only thing the Holy Spirit is going to use to change that in our lives. I want you to notice verse 32. Jesus has just vanished from their presence. And listen to what these two disciples say. They say, did not our heart burn within us? While he talked with us, by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures. What was it that made this change in their lives? What helped them recognize Jesus? What changed a faithless heart into a faithful heart? It was God's word was God's word applied to their lives, or situation. And what was evidence of that change? Well, first of all, there's a really unique phrase here in verse 32. There's two disciples, but there's one heart. They say, did not our heart burn within us? Singular, not hearts plural. Did not our heart burn within us? See, they no longer have faithless hearts. Uh, they have a singular, <laughs> unified heart. A heart that trusts in and loves Jesus now for the right reason. And secondly, the evidence of their now faithful heart is described in verses 33 to 35. Just like the ladies before them, they immediately, um, they had walked like 11 miles. They didn't sleep that night. They got up and they immediately went back to Jerusalem to testify as witnesses to the other disciples of Christ's resurrection. These two, they're now living in resurrection power. The, rest, the restriction of their faithless hearts has been removed by God's word. There's one more restriction to living in resurrection power that's presented to us in verses 36 to 49. It's faithless heads. Verse 36 says, And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them, and he saith unto them, Peace be unto you. Peace. When I was over in Moldova, um, I, I, I tried to learn some Romanian phrases so I wasn't a complete goofball over there, and ended, I ended up being a complete goofball anyway, um, but it's like, good morning, good day, how you doing, it's Buna Ziwa." so I was real proud of myself, and I was going around to everybody at church saying Buna Ziwa, Buna Zewa, buna but they wouldn't respond back to me, they kept saying Pudgy, 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 Pudgy pudgy. And I, after about six, I was like, yeah, I know I am. But some of you are too. And then I thought, well, you know, in some cultures being pudgy is like, you've been blessed by God. And I have been. And what they were saying, I asked our translator, said, what are they saying to me? He said, no, 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 no. They're saying pachi, peace, pachi. This is what Jesus says here. Verse 36, he says, peace to them. They didn't have peace. They needed peace. Because verse 37 says, they were terrified and affrighted, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold, Look at my hands and feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Do you have any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all the things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. And then he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, thus it's written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. So now we come to the 11. Those disciples who were the closest to Jesus during his time here on earth. In verse 36, we find them together in a room. They're likely discussing the message from the ladies earlier that morning or maybe from the other two disciples, disciples that Jesus was alive. And guess who shows up? Jesus, right? Jesus does. And what's the response? Is it joy? Is it celebration? Are they singing, we serve a risen Savior? No, they're, it says they're terrified. They're frightened. They, they think Jesus is a ghost, And Jesus, in great grace, he patiently reveals himself to them. He shows them his scarred hands and his feet, and he invites them to handle me. Jesus says, touch me. Ghosts don't have flesh and bones. You know, even after all this, verse 41 tells us that the the disciples, they believed not uh, for joy. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? They were so excited about the possibility, it's too good to be true, that kept them from believing, even yet... I mean, they had been told that Jesus was alive by the ladies at the empty tomb. Peter and John had actually gone there already and found it empty. The two traveling disciples had said, we saw Jesus. He was with us. And here Jesus is. He shows up right amongst them. And so it's obvious that he's alive. Shows him his wounds. Invites them to touch him. And he goes one step further even. He asks for some food. Ghosts don't eat. And it's pretty sad the level of faithless heads that the disciples have here. It's sad that even today there's some disciples of Jesus, they give more credence to um, experiential knowledge, what they can see or hear or touch or taste. I'm afraid we've elevated human scientific experiential senses and logic, what we call logic and reason. We've done that all in a quest for truth and we hold them above faith. (laughs) in the truth. While Jesus invites them to bolster their faith with what they are seeing and what they can touch right then and there, just as before his main motive is to direct them to the word of God. And in verses 40 to 49, Jesus corrects their faithless heads with God's word. Verse 44, he says, these are the words which I spake unto you, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Do you get that? Again, this right here, it's all about him. Old Testament and New Testament. This is truth. This is the way to salvation. This is the way to living in resurrection power. And I pray that what went on there in verse 45 happens here this morning. Then he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. You know, whether you struggle to live in resurrection power as a Christian, sometimes because of faithless habits or a faithless heart or a sometimes faithless head, the way to overcome it is this way. God's word. (laughs) Leaning on God's word. Living by God's word. As we battle performing faithless habits, I hope we will hold to the truth of Romans twelve two. That That if we're going to truly live every single day as a sacrifice to God, That's only going to happen by you and I being transformed by the renewing of our mind through scripture. And when you and I are tempted to live with a faithless heart from time to time, maybe viewing all that God is for us in Jesus as nothing more than a good luck charm or or hoping that because I profess to believe in Jesus and live for him, I'm going to be showered with the pleasures and treasures of a world that's passing away. No, we got to hold to the truth of who Jesus is for us in Jeremiah 31, 33, where God promises the Christian this. I'm going to put my law in your inward parts and I'm going to write it in your heart and I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. Has he done that for you? Because you placed all your trust in who Jesus is and what he's done for you on the cross and in the empty tomb. If you've never come to Christ for salvation, do that right now. Receive Jesus as your savior this Easter morning. Man, what an awesome day to do that. Even as I'm talking right now, confess your sins in prayer to God and tell God that you trust in just only, only in who Jesus is and what he's done for you to save you, to give you new life now and eternal life one day. And Christian, if you have done that, if you're a born-again follower of Christ, well, will you commit this morning to do what David said he does? That I will hide your word in my heart. I'm going to literally treasure. We often apply that verse to memorizing. There's nothing wrong with that. But the word hide means to treasure. David says, I treasure. Your word, it's the most important thing to me. I treasure it in my heart so that I might not sin against you. That will prevent the restrictions to living in resurrection power that a faithless heart is. Won't you tell God this morning, I'm done. I'm done trying to add a little Jesus to my life for some temporal uh, idolatrous blessing. No, I know that following Jesus means exchanging, not adding him to my life, exchanging my life for his living wholeheartedly for Jesus alone. Maybe it's your head that gets in the way. Instead of submitting to God and his word, there are occasions when you refuse to trust in anything other than what you can see and hear and smell and touch and taste. Will you let God's word and your faith in who he is and what he's promised, will you allow God's word to change that this Easter morning? You know, in the scripture, Pastor Tommy read earlier from 1 Peter 1, God has Peter praise those faithful ones whom, having not ever literally seen Jesus, that's all of us, having not ever literally seen Jesus, still they love him. And they believe and they rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Is that you? You know, how essential we think Romans 10, 9 and 10 is to our salvation. And it is if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, but also what? That you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. That's how essential the resurrection is and how essential living in resurrection power is. But it's in Romans 10 verse 17 that we have this simple but life transforming truth. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. Saving faith? Well, yeah, that's how you come to Christ. But, but to live as a Christian, the power to live in resurrection power, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There's no other way to walk in newness of life now. There's no other way to Jesus, no other way to salvation. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I have to tell you, there's nothing that burdens me more, because I've lived it, <laughs> but there's nothing that burdens me more than what you might want to call a B-squad Christian. Like, I mean, they, they have trusted Christ as Savior. They have an assurance. They're going to heaven. But, but they never, like, fully step in to everything that God has promised and provided for them in Christ's resurrection. I mean, how, un, how inconceivably sad. that's not his purpose for you. That's not what he so painfully on that cross and so powerfully in that empty tomb provided for you. What, what a waste Of his grace is that person who professes to trust in Jesus for salvation, but who fails to live in the power of his resurrection. How pointless to profess a love for Christ, but fail to live for him because of a faithless habit or heart or head. Will you commit this, this Easter morning, will you commit to rely on this source of resurrection power like never before? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, as we now have opportunity to respond to what God's word has told us. However the Holy Spirit has pressed upon you to do so today, I just ask that you'd obey him.